All right. Good morning, everyone. If you could make your way back to your seats, we'll continue on in service here this morning. Thank you for joining us in worship. I kind of missed that little break. It's a good opportunity to chat and catch up with folks. And of course, it's great to have the kids in worship with us. And so I'm glad that the break is back for at least a couple weeks here through the end of summer while we still have uh, some space in here for that. And uh, I love the energy that comes out of that break. You guys excited to open up God's Word together? Okay. Hey, nice job. Wow. John chapter 5, if you want to turn there, we'll be there in just a few moments. Uh, I hope that you join us this Friday for our worship time at my house, the Fireside Worship and Prayer. If you haven't been planning on that, come on out. Like Josh said, there's cards on the back table if you need directions to my place or come see me afterwards. But uh, the last one was great, so join us this Friday, 7 p.m. for that, and uh, we'll see you there. Um, Over the last couple of weeks, as I said last week, we've been looking uh, at this story of this man getting healed outside of this pool of Bethesda, right? And so over the last uh, couple of weeks, we looked at the healing itself, we looked at some of the conversation that has come out of that, and, and now today is in our text, Jesus is still talking, explaining what it is that he has done and why he has done it, the authority which he carries to do such things. We've looked at these people over the last couple of weeks, like Nicodemus or the woman at the well who are kind of searching and inquisitive, but now, like I said, there's opposition. You're seeing folks stirred up by what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying. And it's mainly about these two things, right? That he healed a lame man on the Sabbath, right? This man who's been lame for 38 years, he heals him on the Sabbath, he picks up his bed and he walks and everyone's upset because the guy is carrying his bed. But then he also says that God is his father. And that's a big deal because if you're claiming God is your father, you are claiming equality with God. John chapter 5 verse 18, as we read last week, it says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, so he's a lawbreaker, he's breaking the Sabbath, but he's even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so they are upset. The Jews are upset with him. And our text today is Jesus further explaining why he does what he does and who he is. It's almost like he's on trial. When you think of Jesus on trial, you think of him standing in front of Pilate, right? When Pilate looks at Jesus and he says, are you the king of the Jews? The fact of the matter is, is Jesus is always on trial. From the very beginning of his ministry, once he starts healing, once he starts making claims, once he starts revealing a little bit more of who he is, and the Jews, the Jewish leaders around him start getting upset, Right? He's always on trial. He's always under scrutiny. He's always being examined and, and being uh, criticized. In our society, even in some of our own hearts in this room, Jesus is always on trial. People are always examining what he is and scrutinizing who he is and what he does and going, okay, how does this fit within my worldview? And do we let him into that worldview? Do we let him shatter that worldview, reorient that worldview? Or do we say, nope, he doesn't quite fit, and so 
rejected. I hope that as the Holy Spirit illuminates our text this morning and illuminates uh, the gospel itself to you over time, I hope that you, as you examine, that the Holy Spirit of God opens your eyes and opens your ears to hear his voice calling you. That as you examine the scriptures, as you see the evidence around you, even the ways that he's probably been working in your own life, that you would behold him. That word over the last year has really resonated with, that you would behold Jesus, that you would, that you would see and cherish him as Savior. Jesus is always on trial. And I'm no attorney, but one of the best forms of evidence when you're going to trial, is that of a trustworthy witness? Is that of, a, of an eyewitness or, or of a testimony of something that is someone that is true? And from verse 19 to the end of the chapter, Jesus is explaining to the Jews who he is and why he does what he does. He's showing evidence for his sonship, for his deity. And if they would just hear it, if they would just see it, maybe they would receive it and believe on him. And so in these following verses in our text today, verse 30 through the end of the chapter, Jesus is stacking up the evidence. So let's read together. Verse 30, it says this, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another one who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. That's pretty big. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you have never heard, and his, uh, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that uh, you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Before we continue on, let's pray this morning and, and ask God's blessing over the reading of his, uh, of his word and, and, and his Holy Spirit's work in us today. So let's pray together. Father, Again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text that we hold in our hands, that it is absolute truth. 
And God, if there's those in this room that may not believe that fully, God, today, by your power, by your Holy Spirit, convince them, convict them that the words that they hold in their hand is truth and thus leads to life. God, help us to hope in you. Help us to trust in you. God, help us to believe not just a mental assent, but a conviction, God, where we cast our life upon you. Trust in your work. Trust in your salvation. Trust in your righteousness that we might have eternal life in you. We love you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you notice in our text today how many times the word witness and testify are mentioned? How awesome is it when you have somebody who will vouch for you. Ever been in that situation where you needed someone to vouch for you? You needed someone to go to bat for you and you had a reliable source to speak up on your behalf, to testify on your behalf, to speak up and to, and to witness of your character or your goodness or something that you have done. And like I said, it's almost like Jesus is on trial, having to make a defense for himself. Because they thought he was breaking the Sabbath. They thought he was breaking one of their laws and they thought that he was speaking blasphemous things. So they're asking him to explain himself. And Jesus has already asserted that all authority has been given to him through the Father, that he only does what the Father has given him to do, that he only says what the Father has given him to say, that he only does the will of the Father. They are one in lockstep with each other. And in our text today, it says that his testimony is true because he and the Father are one. Even his own testimony about himself would be okay because he and the Father are in lockstep with each other. But he gives a pretty strong list of witnesses in our text today. The number one that he mentions is John the Baptist. John chapter 5, verse 30, our text again says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John... And he bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. That John the Baptist, right? The forerunner, the one who comes to prepare the way of Jesus. Described as a lamp shining, revealing the truth of Christ. He's known as one of the last great prophets, the last great prophet. Jesus said of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11 that there was no one born of woman greater than John the Baptist. That's what he says of him. He's shining bright. John chapter 1, a few weeks ago, we, we saw his testimony, right? He looks at Jesus coming and he says, Behold what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You have John baptizing people in the river. And his baptism was one of repentance, was one of cleansing. And he looks at Jesus and he says, there, there, he's the one. That spotless lamb is going to wipe away your sins. John the Baptist is a trusted witness to who Christ is. 
And he's looking at the Jews and he's saying, John the Baptist, he testifies of me. Number two, he mentions his works. John chapter 5, verse 36, our text today says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that my Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The miracles, the works, the signs, the things that Jesus does, his healings, right? The official son we looked at a few weeks ago, the man at the pool of Bethesda, the way that he cleansed lepers, the way that he opened the eyes of the blinds, the very works that Jesus does bear witness that he is sent of God. Feeds thousands, walks on water, so on and so on. All of this will ultimately lead to his greatest work when he climbed the hill of Calvary and was nailed to a cross and shed his blood to cover and atone for all of our sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But it didn't just stop there. His work culminates in the resurrection three days later, rendering death powerless. John the Baptist bears witness His own works bear witness. Number three, the Father bears witness. Verse 37 of our text, it says this, And the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. There's something about believing in Jesus and having the word in them, abiding in them, that they had full understanding of who Jesus was. He says, your voice, you have, his voice you haven't heard, his form you haven't seen, his word is not abiding in you. And all of this is evidenced by them not believing. Takes me back to Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist, right, baptizing people, and Jesus comes to him and says, baptize me. He says, I, I, it shouldn't be me baptizing you. Verse 13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized, and John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. You come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You have John the Baptist testifying of Jesus. You have Jesus' works speaking on his behalf. You have the Father testifying, right? At that beautiful moment where Jesus is baptized, where he puts himself into the water, not because he needed to be cleansed, not because he needed to repent, because he was sinless, but to identify with all of mankind. He goes into the water, baptized by John, and the Father himself testifies of the Son. The Spirit of God descends down on him like a dove. What a beautiful picture. There you have the triune God all encompassed in the start of Jesus' beautiful ministry. The fourth witness that Jesus mentions in our text today in verse 39 is the Scriptures. This is verse 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
was thinking about this. I've, I've mentioned this before, but the Bible in which we hold in our hands is a special, special thing. Do you understand how precious the Word of God is? I've watched videos in other countries uh, floating around social media at different times where I think it was in China and this case of Bibles gets delivered to these school children and they rip open this, this case of Bibles and they all just like pick through it. They just like are almost like tackling each other just to get their hands on the Word of God. Do you understand how precious the words of God are? I don't think we do because when you look at the statistics of what the average American Christian actually spends time in the Word of God, it's astounding. It's like we don't believe that they are the very words of God. We don't believe that they are like we come to it when we need something. It's almost like we wish that it had this beautiful table of contents, right? This topical table of contents where I can go, okay, I'm wrestling with this right now, so I'm just going to like, okay, turn to, okay, marriage, okay? Marriage, I'm going to go here, find here, and there's my manual, right? It's like it's a fix-it manual. It's not that way, right? And it's not that way because it's not about us. There's great things in that text for us, of course, But the scriptures are about Jesus. Start to finish revealing Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. And a lot of us struggle with the scriptures sometimes, particularly with the Old Testament, because we fail to understand and see the thread of the gospel weaving its way through it. And I, I get it. It's challenging at times. Maybe we need to all see Bruce at the back table so we can get some theological training, some understanding of the scriptures. Right? We just open it up, we plop it open, and we fail to understand some of the genre and some of the way, the history and some of the context and all of that stuff. And so I get it that it is tough at times. But first and foremost, I don't want to approach this book to just go, hey, what's in it for me? But Jesus, every time I want to open that book and just say, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to me again. In them is life, because in those words is Jesus. Verse 39 again, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet, Verse 40, it's a tough one. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Do you get that? You search the scriptures because you think that there is life within them, but yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. There's something rebellious about us. There's something ultra-religious about us. There's something ultra-stubborn about us. I'm going to do it on my own without having to give up too much. I'm going to figure it out on my own. That's why religious, uh, religion can be so dangerous at times. Because it's our pursuit of God when, when you look at scriptures, you see how graciously he pursues us in his grace. Calls us to himself. The fifth thing that he mentions here, the fifth witness, is Moses himself. John chapter 5, verse 46, it says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? 
It's the beautiful thing, as I just touched on, the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament, and all of the law points to Christ. So much of what Moses wrote, Moses wrote about was about Messiah. And specifically in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, he writes specifically about it, and Peter actually quotes him in his sermon in Acts chapter 3. Verse 15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. And it is him that you shall listen. Moses, their forefather, the patriarch, he himself testifies to Jesus. And it's Moses here who ends up flipping the script. Right? Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, seemingly a lawbreaker calls the father, uh, excuse me, calls God his father, thus making himself equal with God, right? Breaking the law, blasphemous words. Now he's explaining his authority. He's explaining how the scriptures, Moses, John the Baptist, his miracles, the father himself all testify to himself. And here Moses flips the script, right? It's almost like Jesus is under accusation. Explain yourself. And here at the end of our text, the script is flipped. Verse 45 says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe me? Moses, the one who handed them the law, the one in whom the law was given, their great forefather, is the one who is now going to accuse them, Jesus says. And all that they set their hope in, Moses, the law. And they were right to keep the law. The law was good. The law was given through Moses by God, but they failed to see that it was all about Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. All the law-keeping, all the obedience, all the observations of days and feasts, all the uh, uh, thou shalt's and the thou shalt nots, all the lambs that were killed on the day of atonement, all of it was done in faith, awaiting the one who would be the fulfillment of all of it. It would be the final spotless lamb that would once and for all take away all their sins. But because they didn't see They don't believe his words. It is they who are accused by Moses. Although it seems like Jesus is the one on trial here, having to make his defense for calling himself the son of the living God. All of these witnesses, they testify on his behalf so that they might actually believe on him. Jesus is not the guilty lawbreaker, but he's the fulfiller of the law and the rightful judge of mankind. You go back a few verses, our text from last week, verse 26 says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he is granted to the Son also to have life in himself. Thank you, Jesus. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to a resurrection of judgment. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one sent of the Father, the one who seems to be the one who is accused, is actually the judge of all of mankind. And Moses, their forefather, will sit there and accuse them because they do not believe his words or the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. As I looked at our text this week, you know, some, some would say that to be a Christian, you've got to have blind faith. And yes, of course, you've got to have faith. Right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But today, I hope you've seen that it's not entirely blind faith. You can trust Jesus with your life because Jesus is true and there's ample evidence that Jesus is true. He is trustworthy. This past Christmas, we looked at some of the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. There's over 300 prophecies fulfilled in the coming of Christ. In the coming of Christ as the Messiah. In, uh, I think it was Peter Stoner. He's a, he's a professor in mathematics and I think astronomy. And he says if there was just one man that could fulfill just eight of those prophecies, it would be like the, the probability would be one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a lot of zeros. Just eight of them, let alone 300 plus. There's evidence. There's witnesses. There's testimony. Can you see it? Do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit calling you today? Will you receive it? The evidence is great, but do you have your eyes open to see? Do you have your ears open to hear the voice of God calling you? Do you hear the voice of Christ and the Holy Spirit calling you that the work of God is happening in your life? Has he given you ears to hear and eyes to see that now you have the evidence and now you have to do something with it? Let's read that text that we were just in, starting in verse 25. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear Will live. Those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Today I declare to you that the evidence is great. And I hope that the Holy Spirit has illuminated the gospel to your heart that salvation and life is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not in your own works. It's not in your own doing. It's not in your own religion. A few weeks ago when Pastor Marty was here from God's Touch, one of his guys, I forget which one, it might have been Raphael, who talked about how just kind of punching a clock. And unfortunately, I think a lot of American Christianity is that. We put in our time, we go to church, we do the right things, and we have this good, uh, this good life, this good cushy life wrapped up in a Jesus wrapper. And it's more. It's bigger than just punching a clock, doing the right things, putting in your time in church. Do you see the evidence that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah? Do you hear his voice calling you to himself? At that moment, everything changes. 
At that moment, you have to do something with that. And the only acceptable response is everything. Do you understand that? When we are called to Christ, you take up your cross and follow him. We die to ourselves and we give him everything in exchange for everything. This life has all these promises. This life has all these things that it offers us. And it feels good and comfortable at times. But as we've seen this last year, when everything comes shaking down, when the economy comes crashing, when politicians let us down, when all the things, all the structures that we put our hope in get shaken, nothing is left. Thus, Jesus, our eternal hope, our solid rock, the only foundation, and wherever we could put our foundation in, wherever foundation we could lay, it must be in the solid rock of Christ. This morning, if you are outside of Christ, I hope that you hear his voice, and I hope you repent, and I hope you believe. Because in that believing, you will have life. And if you are in Christ Jesus, today, rejoice. Rejoice that you have heard his voice calling you. That's another thing. Us Christians, those of us in this room, a lot of times, I don't think the fullness of our salvation really grips our heart. Because I think we would worship a little more exuberantly, a little more expressively, if we understood the fullness of it. Today in this place, as the band comes, and we sing another song together, and we respond today, If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, today is your day. Place your faith and your hope and your trust in him and find life eternal. Today, if you're in this place and you are a follower of Christ, rejoice. Rejoice in your salvation. As we worship together in a few moments, rejoice. Lift up your voice. Understand that you are loved, bought, purchased and your salvation is secure in him today if you need prayer there'll be folks from our prayer team in that back corner they would love to pray with you if you have prayer about anything whether it be from salvation to needs in your life have someone pray with you today let's pray together father we thank you for this morning and i thank you for your word i thank you jesus that there is ample evidence god bear witness to our hearts by the power of your holy spirit that you are true. Religion doesn't do it. Philosophy doesn't do it. The things of this world doesn't do it. It is only found in you, Jesus. God, be glorified in us. Call us to yourselves. Jesus, be glorified. We love you, God. We thank you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together. Let's respond to the Holy Spirit. Thank you.